Live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield and Adam Candy, only on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go on a Wednesday. It's the Battleborn Broadcast Studios. Cofield, Candy, Ari is back in our Finley Toyota Studios. Sponsor, 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 right? Keeps us alive thanks to uh, both Finley Toyota and Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Later on in the show, we're going to talk to our ESPN Las Vegas legal insider, the one, the only, Justin Watkins. Trending at two. First of all, Candy, I haven't seen you in a while. How you doing, buddy? I'm getting along, Steve. What's going on? How are you doing? I had a good time listening to you guys yesterday. Uh, why? What did we do wrong? Nothing. Nothing. I was just enjoying Ari laying the smackdown on guests who don't read his texts. Yeah, that came out that uh, if you leave Ari on red, and I found out that it's actually R-E-A-D, not R-E-D, but I don't have an iPhone, so I don't know what that means, but the kids like Ari, who's not really a kid, say uh, leaving me on red, Ari will get really pissed off because he's an aggressive guest booker, and when he doesn't get his way or even a response, he lashes out. That's right. Yeah, I mean, hearing that certain guests get blackballed like millionaire Jeopardy contestants, that was that was harsh, Ari, but, you know, I appreciate you drawing the line somewhere. A man's got to have a code. That's right. There is a code. The code, uh, the code of the guest booker. That's right. Protect that code at all times. Show the man some respect. I'm guessing you were referencing uh, both Pressbox and uh, Cofield and Company yesterday with Kevin Kruger and uh, DRF on. Uh, yeah, I got a chance to listen to some of both of those. I mean, not, neither of those interviews really compared to uh, the glory of the first five minutes of uh, of CNC yesterday with Ari. But, you know, uh, yeah, I did get a chance to hear all about UNLV's new basketball coach straight from the sources. Yes, we're going to hear some of the clips from both interviews yesterday. If you didn't hear them, they're up on LVSportsNetwork.com or you can go out to the web where they've been uh, repackaged and put on websites, so you can check that out. But uh, we'll bring back uh, some of the better clips because I want Candy's reaction to, uh, one, the hire, and two, some of the explanations from Desiree Reed-Francois on the uh, new era of running Rebel Basketball with Kevin Kruger. So uh, trending at two, I think we're going to have some interesting NFL news coming down with some some acquisitions, so we'll get to that in a little bit. More review of what the Raiders have done so far. Uh, we got to get to the big hockey news of the day, and it's actually, uh, well, procedural off of the ice. But I, I will say, we'll, we'll give Ari the floor here again. Uh, I feel like there's been an attempt to snoop, to meddle, to interfere, to fact find. Ari sent over a message this morning demanding that Adam Candy give out his vaccination information. What's going on here, Adam, or uh, Ari? First of all, you're the nosiest person ever, so I don't know what you're talking about. Secondly, I simply asked in the chat, in the email for the three of us, and yes, of course, if you want to discuss it on the show, that's how this works. I was curious if Candy also got his vaccine. Interesting. Maybe, maybe Put this you on the spot. Be, this could be a HIPAA violation. Can the person actually out themselves? Well, here's the problem. I, I, I have worked really hard to build a good relationship with Ari, and yesterday I got to hear all about just how fickle the man is. Like, you don't answer a text and you end up on the blackball list. Like, if I don't tell him what my vaccination status is, Ari's going to make sure that my hookup never works to be on the show. Like, that's what I'm worried about right now. I feel like I'm being pressured. I'm wondering if I need to talk to Lotus Management about the kind of pressure that Ari's putting me under here. This might be a hostile work environment. We're going to go to break now. Just kidding. <laughs> you're, you're all right. You're all right. There's no pressure. Okay, so good. you responded, even Oof. if you had responded Oof. with a simple, 
Uh, it's none of your business. That's all. I just want a response. I'm an adult. I can take the, you know, the negative bad news. I just want the news. I want the answer. You want the news. That's that's why you're in the business, my friend. That's you right. want the news. You want answers. You want to be an investigative journalist like our man Adam Hill getting to the bottom of things. Okay. Um, well, Ari, since you asked the question and wow. since I believe it's, wow. it's overall in the public interest. Breaking no, I want to make clear. Breaking it's news. Right on the, there it is. Ready to go? Ready to go, Ari? You got this? Make got sure you make sure you're ready to clip it because you wanted the answer. On Monday afternoon, I received my second dose oh! of the vaccine. Oh. I am on my way to full vaccination. And uh, for anyone out there who might be worried about how the whole thing works, I will just speak to my own personal experience and say that, yeah, the first day or two after some uh, some headaches and a little tired and proof that the body is doing what it's supposed to do to build up the immunity to the vaccine. But Ari, you want an answer. You got an answer. I am a vaxxer. I'm thrilled with that answer. By the way, I also care about your well-being, so I, you know, I'm glad for you. That's part of this too. Like, I'm glad to see that you're taking care of yourself. So it's part well, of my. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So, so of course, if you ask me the question and I answer it on air, then it's probably time for you to to answer the question we asked two weeks ago. Have you made your appointment? Have you gone yet? Oh, you must have missed that part. Yeah, right. I didn't. I I decided to just give myself a day to to just live my own life and not say anything. And then coincidentally, uh, myself and Steve and John all went the same day to get the vaccine. Lovely. Lovely. Totally separate. Good. But yeah. So. Oh, no, it's totally separate. Totally separate. What, what good is a CNC outing if you all go separately? Well, I assume that you got, it's, I it's assumed all building, it- it's all building towards a, a special event coming up. Yeah. Last Thursday, Ari, John, myself, all went to, uh, well, at different times, we actually, we wound up being at, uh, at least two of us were at one location. Ari was at, the other, but um, as your classic wolf pack, Cofield and Company is a wolf pack. Mm. Uh, there is a moment where we will go out and just terrorize local restaurants and stores and complain that we have to wear masks. I think that's going to be the path. I think we're all about oh, that, right? Yeah. I'm, well, once I'm once I'm fully vaccinated, I'm gonna I'm gonna be like, uh, what was it when when the president got back to uh, got back to the residence after he had COVID and he, they dropped him off the helicopter and he ripped the mask off? It's gonna be me. Ripping the mask off in public and showing you people I don't need it. I want my freedom. There's no law saying I have to wear a mask. I'm not a sheep. That'll be us. I won't be muzzled. That's Steve Kirsten. I I will not be muzzled. Uh, That's all a joke. Do not go out and terrorize local restaurants and bars and other places. If they have a mask mandate after the, or they have a, a personal mask preference in their place of business, if the state lifts the mask mandate, we hear some of that is going on in Texas. Please cut it out. People are just trying to make money, make a living, keep their business afloat. You don't need to go in and rake them over the coals and and bust their chops. So, NHL news. Well, Candy, it's a great day to have you in because uh, you are an official by trade in uh, multiple sports, right? What do you officiate? Uh, primarily basketball, but also volleyball and soccer. Oh, okay. Um, so maybe, you know, as many of us will do, uh, we will stick with our own. We will back our own. I will back every radio host in the country when they have a language gaff. Not quite, but most, most. I will fight on their behalf. Um, I don't know what the hell is going on here. We've got an official on the ice. Unfortunately, the, the mic, the live mic is caught. Uh, this is a quick snippet out of uh, whatever this guy's name is. What is it? Who is it? Tommy? Good Tim old Peel. Tommy. 
Timmy, Timmy, Tommy, Tim Peel. You can tell me if he's a renowned official or was in the NHL. This was uh, him on the ice, Mike Open. It wasn't much, but I wanted to get a penalty against Nashville early in the... Okay, wait, what? Now, now, you would think, like, when I first heard that, I was like, oh, that must be a coach, must be a player on the opposing side. Candy, what the hell is going on? You want me to tell you what you want to hear, or you want me to tell tell you what you don't want to hear? Because if you want to tell you what you want to hear, I'll be happy to, which is that the fact that this guy would say this out loud is just beyond my understanding. Like, first of all, you know that when you're anywhere on the ice in an NHL game, pretty much anything that you say could be picked up by a microphone, especially in an empty building. So the fact that you would say this out loud is pretty insane. Uh, Tim Peel has a reputation among hockey fans as, let's just say, a referee who's had his struggles in the past uh, was previously suspended for a game for going out uh, drinking with uh, a friend of the show, puck daddy, Greg Wyshynski. Um ended up getting pulled off game for that. And so here's a guy who's had some issues in the past. So I think there were some folks who looked at it and said, Oh, yep. Tim Peel. Here we go again. Well, you won't have to worry about it anymore because the league has now banned him. He was going to retire at the end of the year. And they've said, you know what? Why don't you take that parachute a few months early and, head on out of here. Um, Look, the league had no choice. The league did exactly what it had to do because the perception that something's wrong with an official goes a lot farther than any explanation I'm going to give you. That said, I'm going to give you an explanation. Okay. Um, These are the types of things that, let's say, you don't like as a fan, say you're a UNLV basketball fan, you don't like when the first five fouls of the game go against the Rebels. And what do you hear from everybody? Call it at both ends. Call it fair. If you're going to call it here, call it there. I have a feeling, based on what had gone on in that game, Detroit had had the only penalty thus far in the game, that considering this was early in the second period, there might have been some discussion in the locker room that goes along the lines of this. Don't miss anything on Nashville. Don't miss anything. Is it a makeup call? No. Trust me. They don't exist. You can talk about it all you want. People can cite all the conspiracy theories they want. I have not in my life made a makeup call, nor will I ever. And officials don't do it. The conversation that I bet you was had was, wow, we might have missed something that Nashville did in the first period, or Detroit's being really physical. Nashville is being really physical. We need to make sure that we keep this under control. And yet the way it comes out is what he said. I wanted to make sure I got something on Nashville early. Now, The point of the matter is, in the end, you can't do it. What he said was wrong. You can't do it. You can't be in a mode of saying, I want to find a penalty on a team. You can't do it from from an integrity perspective, and you sure as hell can't do it if you're the NHL and you now have equity stakes in two different sports books where you are involved in gambling. You want to stay above the line when it comes to gambling. You better take the decisive action that it did today. But you know what? There are still bigger questions to answer as to what guidance is the league giving to its referees in terms of how they are officiating games. When they wanted to crack down on interference, they got it. When they wanted to crack down on slashing, they got it. Was what Tim Peel did related to some directive that the NHL has given its officials? Colin Campbell and Gary Bettman have questions to answer. Damn. All right. Well, let's get to the sportsbook ties. Uh, explain that a little more. Uh, also, that whole conversation about, uh, you know, having a call a foul on a team because uh, maybe the crowd's reacting or, you know, they just haven't gotten one and you're hearing from the bench. That's all coming up as an NHL official has heard that he needed to make a call 
against a team, and now he's been fired. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Rolling on here on a busy Wednesday. You have Justin Watkins coming up next hour. Coach Joe, Joe Esposito, will be in in the 3 o'clock hour as well. Some uh, NFL news and lots of Raiders stuff to get to today. I uh, just saw that uh, Vic Tafer was mentioning that uh, Mayock and Tom Cable are at USC's Pro Day today to uh, check out an offensive lineman. That's not a big surprise. We'll get into a look ahead for the draft with the Raiders and also the Rams. Today's another pass to the draft day, and the Rams are up on the board, so we're going to talk to Greg Beecham, who's in L.A., Covers the Rams for AP. It looks like, Candy, that uh, we've got some quarterback movement. Now, these are not going to be the sexy names, but it doesn't mean they're not important. C.J. Beathard is gone from the Niners. He's now with the Jaguars, which you would assume if they're taking Trevor Lawrence at the top of the draft, they don't need Minshew mania. So there actually could be a little mini competition here to get Gardner Minshew. The Broncos could be the team that lands Minshew, which is uh, quite the quarterback situation since uh, right now for the Broncos, if they were going to trade for Deshaun Watson, he seems to be out of reach with some of the troubles he's dealing with. Uh, The Niners, there's also speculation that the Niners could bring in Minshew mania. I don't know what that would mean for Jimmy G. So we got some, some quarterback movement. So, Candy, let me get your reaction on what happened uh, locally in terms of the big news at the beginning of the week. Kevin Kruger moves over couple of chairs from the assistant role to take over the running rebel program. Your reaction. Overall, I want Kevin Kruger to succeed in this job because UNLV is a program that deserves to be able to return to the heights that it once was. They deserve to have that opportunity and they deserve to have a coach who's going to give them that chance. They deserve to have someone who is understanding of the history of the program who has played here who has coached here who does want this to succeed i would need to be convinced if i hear there were 14 to 16 people in the process of how kevin Kruger was the best candidate for the job but that doesn't mean i don't want him to succeed in it now that he has the job uh ultimately it seems to me the one thing that hasn't been discussed enough is the cost savings that UNLV was able to realize in stepping down from the contract it was paying TJ Otzelberger to the contract it's going to pay Kevin Kruger. Um, seems to me that presented an opportunity during pandemic times for UNLV's athletic department to save some money over what they were going to be paid, especially considering Desiree Reed Francois talked about potentially extending TJ Otzelberger uh, during your interview yesterday. So I think the money is a significant factor, uh, whether they want to admit that or not. And look, it fits her profile. She has made very clear she is going to hire young. She is going to hire up and coming. She is generally going to hire unproven. And if that's the way she wanted to go, then Kevin Kruger checks a lot of the boxes that she wanted. Let's hear uh, from part of the DRF interview from yesterday's convo and Cofield and company. And Adam Hill was asking about, you know, a question that a lot of people are going to ask. Hey, you know what? Did Kevin just get the job because his dad was here and because he's a Kruger? What would you say to people that say if his last name wasn't Kruger, he wouldn't have this job? Uh, Kevin played for us. Kevin's prepared. Kevin's last name is, uh, is not what's at issue. Kevin earned this job. Uh, he was, like I said, we had a really, uh, we had a great pool. 
and we had really qualified candidates um, that were very, very special. When we went through the analysis and we kept coming back to the fact that Kevin's committed to, to Las Vegas, he's committed to UNLV, most importantly, he has the character and the conviction and that competitive drive. It's not that he's just telling us about it. We've seen it. We've seen it for years. Not only as an assistant coach, our community has seen his competitive drive when he led the Running Rebels to Sweet 16. Um, so it's not, it's not his last name that got him this job. It's his character and his preparation and his drive. Candy, what do you say to the uh, whole nepotism claim? Look, I don't think the Kruger name hurt him at all. I don't think the Kruger legacy at the university hurt them at all. Long Kruger is one of the best things to happen that, to that athletic department in the last 20 years. Uh, did he get the job because of that? Well, he certainly looks like he put his dues in the way any other assistant coach would have put his dues in, right? Did time working at Oklahoma, at Northern Arizona, here at UNLV. Like, he didn't get the job off the street, uh, that so I know I don't buy the nepotism claim uh, when it comes to that. The, the thing that gets me, though, uh, that gets me a little bit skeptical is hearing the idea of commitment. Um, of course, he's committed to the job. If he wants to have the job here, why wouldn't he be committed? And why wouldn't he express that to Desiree Reed Francois? What's the opposite of telling an athletic director you're committed that you walk in there and say, you know what? This looks like a great place to start my career. Uh, but I just want to let you know that the day UCLA gets on the phone, deuces i am out of here uh nobody says that and no and nobody's going to express that so look lon kruger was the picture of commitment to this university right he had lived the entire coach's arc he had been to the nba he had been to a bigger program and here he came to las vegas to a place that he loves to a place that he still has a home to a place where he succeeded as a coach and when oklahoma came calling lon kruger went to oklahoma so Commitment is wonderful for as long as it's realistic. Right. Uh, and then also part of the Lon to Oklahoma story is UNLV chose not to come close to matching the deal. So there was a chance right. to keep him, and they decided to turn the page, and it was time to go with a younger, fresher face. I don't know if that was the exact rationale, but go with Dave Rice. Now, in terms of the, the shock or the preparedness for Otzelberger leaving, and this is something I've talked about you know, the last couple of days. I mean, it's pretty clear this was his dream job. He wasn't going to be here very long. I didn't hear any of that conversation at the beginning of the hiring process and the introduction of Altsberger, but it kind of annoys me now. We started talking about this back on February 15th, and uh, we got into it with, uh, not fighting, with Desiree Reed-Francois about, you know, when she started to suspect there could be some trouble on the horizon because Iowa State was not having a big season, and that's where Ots may want to be. But at yeah. what point did you think you were going to have to make a coaching decision. Uh, how long have you known that this was possible? TJ, I mean, he met his wife, Allison, at Iowa State. She's an incredibly decorated women's basketball player there. She's in their Hall of Fame. That's a special place for him. I was watching Iowa State season, and the results, I got more and more, uh, you know, I was paying a lot, of, a lot of attention. I spoke with TJ about it several times. We had a lot of conversations in earnest, and he was very transparent. And 
it was very clear to him that this was a heart move. If that were to come his way, uh, that was going to be a hard one for him to turn turn down because of how much Iowa State meant to his family. Adam and I started talking about this back on February 15th about Altsberger potentially going to Iowa State. And initially people were like, this is ridiculous. I can't be talking about this. And my comeback was, I will guarantee you that Desiree Reed francois is not going to be blindsided <laughs> by this. That, And I said it. I said ADs have a list. I, I I guarantee you there's a just-in-case list. So you're prepped all the time. Yes, you're 100% right. And it was funny. My husband and I had the same conversation uh, probably about January, February. Uh, actually, you know, you know what? It, it was right about February 16th, about my anniversary, which is February 16th. And Josh and I had the same conversation. I'm like, nope, he's going to go. I know he's going to go. And Josh is like, you're crazy. He's not leaving. And I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, just watch, mark my words. Um, and unfortunately, uh, <laughs> we know how the end result turned out. Yeah. But we, it was also a really good opportunity because we were able to get really, really prepared um, and start vetting candidates before we had an opening. And so then you could do a lot of watching and a lot of analysis before you were really, really under the gun. There you go. Uh, so no surprise, Candy, in that answer that uh, they started to suspect something when they saw the Cyclones having such a horrible season. And she also said that uh, Otzelberger and her were, you know, they had conversations, um, you know, from mid-February on and that he was transparent. The question, Cofield, is with whom was he transparent? If he was transparent with Desiree Reed francois okay, good. That's a good job of managing with your boss. But the greatest boss I ever had back when I worked at Mandalay Bay, who did our management lessons, talked about, I don't really care when I'm evaluating you how you manage up. I don't care how you manage to your boss. I care how you manage your employees. That's what I'm looking at. And in this sense, the employees for TJ Otzelberger are his players. So the people who deserve to know if TJ Otzelberger in mid-February was being transparent with Desiree Reed francois about the fact that he was leaving were his players. So I'm not saying they didn't know. We don't know the answer to that. But we absolutely deserve the answer to that because it's a UNLV team that we watched over the last few weeks of the season struggle mightily. We watched it have major problems in multiple games where do we blame it on the COVID season? Do we blame it on you just played better opponents? Or do we say, were these kids suspecting something was up and didn't know about it? Had they already been told that their coach was potentially leaving? Were they just reading news reports about it? But in the end, if TJ Otzelberger was being transparent with Desiree Reed Francois, and if Desiree Reed Francois knew in mid February that TJ Otzelberger might be leaving, then what we need to know is when did the kids know about it? Because they're the ones who deserve the transparency, because they're the ones who get dragged for the Tinder portal. They're the ones who get, who say, okay, kids are the ones who are causing problems by transferring and, you know, like Coach Joe says. But Coaches get to do the same thing with no restrictions and while getting paid. Players should have the same transparency in the opportunity. I'll follow up on that in about 15 minutes. Uh, first up, though, we're going to do another path to the draft. We cover the Rams offseason. It's been wild and woolly, and they uh, don't often seem to have a whole lot of concern for what they're picking in the first round because they rarely have first-round picks. So we'll check in on the Rams with Greg Beecham, who's in L.A. Visit Cofield's Corner on LVSportsNetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews. It's time for Cofield and Company's Path to the Draft, brought to you by Battle Board Injury Lawyers. Call 570-9000. 
All right, let's talk some L.A. Rams as uh, Greg Beecham is on the horn with Cofield and company. We're counting down to number one. The Rams are up on this Wednesday. How are you doing, Greg? Hey, I'm good, Steve. How are you? Very good, very good. Adam Candy is here, so he'll be asking some questions as well. Uh, before we get to the draft, because it always seems to be – I'm not going to say of little importance to the Rams, but they will deal picks. Let's get to some of the big roster moves, the comings and goings. Uh, give me your reaction to what happened at the quarterback position. I mean, uh, they gave up a, a, a haul to uh, make sure that Jared Goff was off the books. The Rams live on credit, and this is their latest shiny purchase in the driveway. Uh, I think Matthew Stafford changes everything about this offense just because people don't know what to expect from the Rams again, which is, to me, one of the biggest benefits. They've had basically the same offensive skill positions here since Sean McVay got in the league. I mean, three of their top four receivers haven't changed from his first year. Todd Gurley was a tailback for three years. Tyler Higby's been the tight end for four years. A lot of those guys are still around, but putting a new quarterback in the mix changes everything that the rest of the league is going to do about the Rams, even though they know all about Matthew Stafford. But the idea is like giving new players to a coach who knows what to do with them. Remember when Sean came into the scene in 2017, immediately turned around the most miserable, sinking offense in the NFL into the most exciting thing in the league, and he did it all in basically one season. You know, that's a testament to how good he is, but it's also a testament of how good he is at doing cool stuff with new parts. You know, he's already scheming up ways to maximize you know Stafford's superiorities to Jared Goff, like throwing down field, handling more elaborate, elaborate play designs, being cool under pressure, all that kind of stuff. And what he does with it should catch a lot of people by surprise when they finally hit the field in five and a half months or whatever it is. So in addition to the upgrade in terms of just pure ability, I think I think the element of surprise is something that people are forgetting about with Sean McVay. Is there any worry on your part that uh, Stafford has had very few opportunities to be on a good team and uh, generally he's wilted, his team has wilted in those spotlight opportunities? Uh, I mean, there's got to be a little bit of doubt that he's going to be able to step it up with a, a good supporting cast and actually get over that that hurdle that he's never been able to get over. Oh, absolutely. He's got to do it. He's been in the league a dozen years and hasn't won a playoff game. I mean, he's been on the Detroit Lions, but at some point, you know, that's, that's part of you. That's, that's, that's part of your legacy as well. I agree with you 100%. But he's, you know, they talk about being in a position to succeed. This is what coaches talk about all the time. And, and Sean McVay is a master of putting guys in positions to succeed. You can tell that. He came into a team that was at the bottom of the NFL and turned it into four straight winning seasons. It's just, it's remarkable what he's done. When you sit back and look at the big picture, you can argue with the small picture a lot in terms of his play selection, you know, the way he treats guys, that kind of thing here and there. And by and large, what he's done is incredibly successful, and I think Matthew Stafford is in the position to do it. He's a grown man. He's 33. He's ready to take this challenge. He knows this is this is his NFL legacy. He's writing here with the Rams over the next two to three years. And, you know, all you can do is put a guy in position and see what he does. And I think the Rams were willing to go to great lengths to do that, and we're going to find out. Greg, you mentioned how he – treated some players and uh, Lindsay Theory's story out today about the breakdown of the marriage between Goff and McVeigh, and it goes into detail about just how that frayed over time. I'm curious from the perspective of folks in Los Angeles, how much of an open secret was this? Because I think folks like us from outside the market read it and say, oh, wow, there's some amazing details in here. But I often know that the guys who are close to the situation every day, like yourself, are sort of like, yeah, we knew. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Sean projects a certain persona in public that would be pretty much impossible to be behind the scenes. He's, he's always willing to jump on every grenade. He blames everything on himself. He, the fact that you know, he called out Jared Goff after the Dolphins game for four turnovers with one sentence, like saying the quarterback needs to take better, better care of the football, was a shockwave around the Rams just because he never says anything about anybody except bringing it back to himself and applying accountability to himself. Behind the scenes, yeah, it's different. I mean, you can't be that guy 100% of the time. Otherwise, no, nothing gets done. People just float around. You know, you have, to, you have to be a leader. You have to tell people what to do. And he's, he's done a good job of that in terms of the results on the field. You can, you can tell that. But, yeah, a lot of the things 
they were in Lindsay's story. We were very well researched, and uh, and that's a lot of stuff that we had heard and a lot of stuff that I knew, that kind of thing, which, uh, you know, there's different different standards for different organizations in terms of what you can report and what you can't. But it's it's not a secret that, that Sean is a, is a competitor. He's an incredible competitor who just – he just breathes football, lives football, and you know he's he's always on the danger of burnout. That's the thing. He's so into football, he's so into succeeding that he's he's an intense guy who talks you know during the season about how burned out he is with us, which is a very honest thing to be with with a with a media group, and uh, it makes up for some of his less than you know hundred uh, percent not honest, but you know being totally forthcoming in other areas, shall I say. And uh, just the fact that he's such a competitor, you know, you knew that something like this was going on. And Jared's a different guy. I mean, he's a competitor, too. You don't get to this point in the NFL without being a competitor. But it, it seemed like it was a good time to break up. And it took extraordinary measures for the Rams to break up with Jared Goff. But they decided, you know, they, they felt it even more than we did. So if the Rams are living on credit the way you describe, and obviously, you know, I, I mean, we're, we're all hoping to be alive the next time they have a first-round pick. We can't guarantee it uh, at this point. But uh, how does the window of opportunity look right now with Matthew Stafford at the helm? I think it looks great. I mean, this is a, this is a good team. This is, you know, you, you, you look at all the, all the guys they lost in free agency. They did lose a ton of guys, but, you know, all the, all the biggest pieces are still there, you know, and, and, and the – the Rams' ability to fill in around them with middle to late round draft picks has been very solid in recent years. The fact that they're so far up against the cap means they can't even bring in, you know, they, they can't they can't go out and even get supplementary veterans like they have in previous years, like a Leonard Floyd or a Dante Fowler. Although they, you know, they managed to re-sign Leonard Floyd for a, for a deal that was that was quite extraordinary. But I don't I don't think I think the window's wide open just in terms of. You know, you look at any roster in any sport, and you look at you know who's the best player on that roster, who's the second best player, who's the third best player. It's it's less of a metric in the NFL than it is in the NBA, obviously. But you know, you look at a roster with Aaron Donald and and Jalen Ramsey on the defense, and the coaches around them who have built you know a four straight winning teams. It's hard to say that it's anything other than wide open, especially if Matt Stafford comes in with with head, a head of motivation and wants to win and, and knows this is his time, which all these things are true. He, he could come in and have one of the best seasons of his life, throwing throwing to those receivers and, and running the plays that Sean calls for him. So, you know, whatever they do in the draft with the few picks they do have is going to be supplementary stuff. They're not going in to get a game-changing player. You can't when your first pick is 57th overall. But they're going in to, to supplement that roster and supplement the guys that they lost down the depth chart who are going to hurt them a little bit. And I think you look at Les Snead's draft record and you say, this is a guy who can do that. He can go out and find what he needs and in general fill the biggest holes that he has right now and, and take care of that. So I think the window's wide open, personally. You mentioned the Floyd deal is extraordinary. Extraordinary because it's a ridiculous contract or that they got it done? Well, it seemed like a lot of money. I mean, I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it seemed like the upper end of what, what Leonard was going to get on the market, and the fact that the Rams agreed to it meant that, you know, they, they number one, they really like him. They think he fits the defense perfectly. And Leonard is not, you know, he, he the, the pass numbers are what get you paid. You know, the pass rush numbers are what get you paid, the ten and a half sacks. But he does so much more for that defense than that. He's he's one of their leading run defenders. He does a great job holding the edge. He's this tall, gangly, incredible super athlete who just does a lot of things that don't show up on the score sheet. And those those don't often get rewarded financially as much as the ten and a half sacks. And I thought a lot of us thought that a lot of people would look at those sacks and be like, oh, this is a pass rusher, and they'd pay him more than the Rams could afford. Like like Dante Fowler got a huge deal from the from the Hawks uh, uh, from the Falcons, excuse me, a year ago. But uh, the fact that they got it done for that much money, I, I I still haven't seen the contract structure. I I really want to see how much of that sixty four million you know is going to is going to be with them. But 
it caught a lot of us by surprise just because we knew he was valuable to the defense, but given the Rams situation and, and making the monthly minimum payments every month, I thought they might have a little struggle with that. But, they, you know, Les can, Les can get anything done if he wants to, Les needs. So he got that done, and that's a big thing they don't have to worry about in the draft. They don't have to worry about in free agency. They don't have to go out and find a knockoff version of Leonard Floyd. And that, that's sort of a, a, a lot of what they do on defense with a new coordinator coming in, which is huge. It's the Cofield and Company path to the draft. The uh, 25th pick is up. It would have been the Rams, but it's Jacksonville. But we're talking about the Rams with Greg Beecham from the AP. Is the biggest acquisition of the offseason actually the guy who's going to run the defense? I think it's going to be the he's going to be under as much of a spotlight as Sean and, and, and Matt Stafford are. I mean, you know, not only is, is Raheem Morris coming into a new defense, he's not he's not going to be able to run everything he wants to. They're going to stick in a 3-4 because that's what their personnel works, works best in. That's what Derek Donald works best in. So he's got to figure out how to mold all this into into something that he can run and something that he can call while still sticking with the fundamental principles that the Rams have used to great success for the last three years. And Raheem, you know, for everything he's done in coaching, he was, you know, he was the wonder kid before Sean McVay, you know, obviously. He's, he's coached a lot of things a lot of different levels. He hasn't had sole responsibility for running a defense like that for as much time as other people have. That's not obviously a problem with the Rams because Brandon Staley ran a defense for one year, got the number one defense in the league, and, and immediately got a head coaching job. But the spotlight is definitely on Raheem in terms of figuring out how you put all this together with, with the losses, with, with two huge losses in the secondary. You know, with, with Michael Brockers, your emotional leader and a run-stopping defensive lineman gone just because he wouldn't restructure his contract. They've got, they got some issues there, and not issues so much as just problems to be overcome. And the spotlight's going to be on Raheem, but I, I, I really think he's a, good, he's a good hire for that job in terms of having the maturity, the reputation, and, and the ability to talk to these guys and do, do a job with, with a lot of players who are coming back to a defense where he wasn't and taking charge and convincing them to buy into his vision the same way Brandon Staley did a year ago. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of pressure on Raheem, but he seems like a coach who, who can handle that. It's interesting that you mentioned, Greg, the idea of, you know, they're running a 3-4, it's not what he's used to, but that's what Aaron Donald fits into. And here in Vegas, we talk about the Raiders, and it started out with John Gruden going into interviews saying, yeah, we run a 4-3, so I'm going to find someone who runs a 4-3. Right. I guess I'm just curious from your perspective, how much does who Aaron Donald is influence how they build the entire defense around him? It's got to be It's got to be a huge factor, both financially and in terms of his production on the field. I mean, nobody does what he does. And if you have a player like that, like Sean often says, you're crazy if you don't try to maximize everything he does. And he worked, he worked perfectly well in, in, a, in a defensive front with, with Michael Brockers and, and Sebastian Joseph Day on either side of him, you know, just, just absorbing the double teams, absorbing the triple teams, just destroying blockers whenever they get foolhardy enough to block him, you know, single-handedly. And, and you know, any defense has to have multiple fronts, and that's where Leonard Boyd comes in and, and, and in terms of deception, in terms of everything he can do. But, you know, Aaron, Aaron Donald's skills are just so widespread, and, and, and the way he impacts games is just so incredible that if you don't build around him, that's malpractice. I mean, that, that's crazy if you have that guy in your defense, if you have Jalen Ramsey on your defense, and you don't build everything around maximizing his skill set under his contract for the time that he's in his prime with the Rams. And to Sean McVay's credit, he understands that 100%, and his philosophy through now three defensive coordinators has been, let's get the most out of Aaron Donald. And I, you cannot argue with the results. Three, three defensive player of the year awards in his four years. And Greg, it kind of goes into the next question I wanted to ask you in terms of how they'll approach the rest of the offseason here. So you mentioned uh, that you lose John Johnson, you lose Troy Hill, two guys who had graded out extremely well last year. Do you go in then, if you're the Rams, focused on the secondary into what you do have in the draft? 
Yeah, I mean, they, they definitely have to do something there. They're, they're looking for a lot of things. And when you're picking so low and so infrequently and you have specific needs, you know, you should probably fill them with the best guy on the board at that position. So I don't know how picky they can be. You know, all the listening doesn't always follow conventional wisdom. So they have needs in the secondary. They've also needed a good inside linebacker for probably two years now. And yeah, they need help on the defensive line now that now that Brock had to be traded. You know, they they the offensive line is also a possible issue. But you know, having having your 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 starting safety, a guy who got four All Pro votes, the defensive signal caller, and John Johnson leave. You know, that that hurts that hurts any defense. You could argue he's the third most valuable guy on that defense behind the two All Pros. So you know, they they have Jordan Fuller, who they drafted in the sixth round, and he turned into a very competent starting safety. They have Taylor Rapp, who was a second round pick two years ago, and has been injured a lot and hasn't really found his groove in the NFL. They can count on both those guys. They even drafted Terrell Burgess from uh, from Utah uh, two years about last year, and he, he emerged and was getting a lot of playing time before he got hurt. So I would think safety is very high on their list in terms of their their second round and their two third round picks. But again, it just depends on what's on the board. When you when you're in that position, you can't you can't go you can't go hunting for 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 something like that. You got you've got to let it come to you. And and while while drafting a safety seems like a good idea, particularly since it seems like they're not going to get anybody in free agency at that at that position where where we thought they might, uh, I would think that would be number one or number one A along with that along with that inside linebacker position. Talking rounds, Greg Beecham in L.A. with the AP is with us. Let's come full circle and and finish up on Jared Goff. So yeah. as it turns out, does Goff have a chance to resurrect his career? Maybe the mix just wasn't right. The message got old. Uh, you know, as you said, McVay, the boy genius, is maybe just a little too intense for the personality of Goff. Can it work in Lions Land? And aside from the haul that they got, I, I would assume uh, Brad Holmes coming over, you know, from uh, the Rams to the Lions, like actually believes that Goff can reach another level. I think Brad Holmes made a great deal. I think he had a 33-year-old quarterback who wanted to leave. And what he got, I mean, you look at what the other teams got for their, you know, in similar situations. I think, I think he came out of it really well. I, I mean, he got, he got a starting quarterback. It's not like Jared Goff is incompetent. He, you know, people, people love to clown him because of who he is and, and that when he, when he plays poorly, it, it's really visible. He's a starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean, he's, he's good. And, and being on that team, you know, I, I won't want to say there's no pressure, but, you know, everybody knows the Lions are rebuilding. Everybody knows they're, they're working towards something in the future. And they know that you know Jared's going to be a part of that for four more years, and and he's got time to settle in, figure out what he likes with the new coaching staff, and and get comfortable. It's going to be tough because that team's not as good as the Rams. I mean, the Rams are the Rams are, are a quality team with a lot of good veterans, and he's going into a situation where he's going to be rebuilding, and he, there's going to be a lot of a lot of spotlight on him to perform. But I just I just think people are are so quick to criticize Jared for what he can't do when they don't see what he can do, which is which is run an offense very well, make a lot of good throws downfield, and just where he struggles is just in the fine points that separate good quarterbacks from great quarterbacks. There are, there are a lot of teams in the NFL who, who would be grateful to have Jared Goff on their roster. There's just not 32 star quarterbacks in the NFL. There's, there's a lot of good quarterbacks, but I think he's up there with, with the second tier of, of people who can perform. And Sean and the Rams just decided they needed that first tier, and they, they wanted to shake it up. They saw what all of us have seen, that is Jared is good, but he's not among the top handful of guys in the league, and he's been in the league for five years, so he's probably not going to get there. But you never know. I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. He'll go in there. He'll have a fresh start. He'll have guys around him that can make him better. And hopefully, you know, he can get some success and get some results. I hope he does. He's a good guy. You want success for guys who are, who are quality people. And we'll see what happens. But uh, I, I, I'm not ready to write Jared Goff off by a long shot. As always, very good spot, Greg. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Adam. Take care. There he is. Greg Beecham with the AP. Covers the Rams. 
Uh, let's go back to what you were saying uh, at the or in the early parts of the conversation about the Lindsay Theory story on ESPN.com. After reading that about the split and the rift developing two years ago and then finally ending with Goff being sent to Detroit, what do you think of Goff now? Did it change your impression on you know his future? Are you optimistic? Did it make him look like a clown? No, I don't think it made Goff look like a clown. I think Goff is who he is, and he's a completely different personality than Sean McVay. I think McVay signing off on the Goff extension essentially said, I think that I can make this guy better. And it didn't work out. And I don't know that that's anybody's fault. My only concern is that if you're going from Sean McVay to biter of knees, Dan Campbell, I'm not sure that the intensity goes down a whole lot there for Jared Goff. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. It's Good Times with Mr. Sunshine. Brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union. Prioritizing people over profit. So we got an interesting note in on the uh, Raiders and Marcus Mariota. That's coming up in less than 10 minutes. Tease board, Ari. Tease board, Mariota. Interesting point. Uh, good Times. Yeah. Uh, I like the hire of Kevin Kruger. We've been breaking down the interviews from uh, yesterday with Kevin Kruger and Desiree Reed francois right here on ESPN Las Vegas. And Candy said something interesting earlier about Otzelberger. Yeah, you get some credit. Otzelberger and when the players really knew that there was a good chance he was leaving for Iowa State. Again, on this show, we started talking about it on February 15th. We got some pushback. We had idiots who were saying there's no way he'll ever get that job. All right. Uh, DRF told us yesterday, yeah, around February 16th, uh, you know, she was having conversations about it being a possibility. Iowa State was not having a good season, and it was starting to look like a reality that the job could come open and that TJ would be offered. And Candy was mentioning, I don't know, about 25 minutes ago about, you know, the kids deserve to know. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll fire back at you and say, do employees need to know when management is moving on and is comparing, you know, our, whoever the listener is out there right now, think to yourself, do you deserve to know when your management is moving on in radio, do we deserve to know when our program director is going to is going to quit? And is that even applicable in this case, Candy? Are you know team sports and because of the age of the kids in college sports, is it just different? Oh, I don't know that it applies to every single workplace out there, but it definitely applies in this case because <laughs> if you want to call the kids employees, and frankly, we should be calling student athletes employees and paying yeah. them, but that's a whole okay. different discussion. If you're going to have an occupation of college basketball player that requires that you basically don't move every day without someone telling you exactly what you're supposed to do, right? Right. right. They tell you they tell you the meals you're supposed to eat. They tell you the workout schedule you're supposed to be on. They tell you when you go to class. They tell you when you go to study hall. They tell you when you come to practice and they tell you every move you're going to make at practice this is a job for these kids that is entirely dependent on that person and they make a large portion of their decision about which workplace slash university they want to spend the next two three four years at based on who the coach is who recruits them to that university so in the situation that we're talking about with tj otzelberger and desiree reed francois i think it's great that they had open conversations about what the future was because Desiree seems to have handled it professionally in terms of starting to vet candidates and get other people ready. TJ seemed to handle it professionally and that he continued to show up and do his job. 
But what about the kids who committed to the program? What about the kids who decided that UNLV was where they were committed to, yep. where they were going to spend the next two, three, four years of their life? If this information is being freely shared between the boss and upper management, then when these kids commit to a coach, when that is a coach who recruits them in, then yeah, they deserve to know. Yeah, what about the kids who are told or asked every day, do you love this place? Do you love this school? Do you love this program? Do you love your teammates? Are you dedicated? Are you loyal? Are you accountable? Uh, and then you could have a year and a half later, yeah, I'm going, see ya. <laughs> wait, what, wait, I've been lectured for the longest time about loving the place and dedication and loyalty. And then, Candy, the other great thing is, um, and I've, I've pushed back on this so many times, people who hate the transfer portal are led, the group is led by the coaches and especially the old school coaches. And my pushback was, you guys set this up. You coaches made this possible because you're disloyal, because you will leave at the drop of a hat. I understand their relationship with their bosses is also a very tenuous relationship. But they should be the first ones to understand why, hey, kids get a little bit edgy. They don't feel like this is the right spot. And they want out. And then we got to hear, oh, the kids these days, there's no loyalty, the immaturity. The coaches do the same thing. Why don't they get blasted? This I've had to listen the entire week to, I mean, what else are you going to do? TJ Otzelberger, it was his dream spot. How about every player? Every player goes in the transfer portal, whether they go closer to home or not, that should be their line. That should be their line. They should, you know what? I realized my dream spot was University X. I shouldn't have been here in the first place. It was my dream destination. Leave me alone. This has been Good Times with Mr. Sunshine, brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union. Become a member today at silverstatecu.com.